Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest today is Ariel Radak Krasner. Ariel has had a near-death experience that impacted her life and career path and has connected her to the other side in a mysterious way. Ariel, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome. Thanks for having me here, Jeff. All right. Well, let's get right into it. What happened to you during your near-death experience? Yeah. So I actually learned of my near-death experience in college when I was writing a paper about my birth experience. So I was in psychology program and I was interviewing my mom and she slipped out that I had almost choked to death when I was one. And this was not something that I had ever known until this moment. And it was pretty impactful to learn and so she told me the story. We were at a wedding and I was on the ground and I had found probably the only piece of bark on the ground that was there. My mom had even checked to make sure there was nothing, nothing there. And I had picked it up and my mom had an instinct to look down and my face was blue and she did baby Heimlich on me and I was, uh, you know, saved, but, um, I think by all, you know, that it was truly a near-death experience. And having been someone who studied, you know, human development and childhood development and and understanding how much that impacts a person, for me, it was really, really impactful to learn that this was part of my human history, um, was that I had almost died before I even, you know, understood the world around me. I knew the experience of almost losing my life. And um, after that, I had some memory recall of floating above my body and a sense of peace. Um, Almost as though as a one-year-old, I was like, "Eh, this human thing is kind of too hard. I'm going to get off the train. Uh, So I joke that, you know, it was, it was sort of me going, "Eh, I'm done. And my mom, my mom brought me back. Have you ever had any hypnotherapy to see if you can get any more from that experience? You know, that's a really, that's a really great thought. I have not had any hypnotherapy around it. Um, But I have, you know, anytime I touch into it, I can, I can recall seeing the ground and the grass and just, just this floating experience of like, you know, not a lot of thought or anything along those lines. Like, really no terror. And what my parents told me was after it happened, they were up all night, like Mm -hmm. facing the house, like, Oh my God, we just let our new infant die. And I was just happy as a clam clapping and smiling as I always was as a baby. So there was no, you know, my, my memory of it was that it was absolutely a fearless experience. Right. I think I've had a guest before that she is a hypnotherapist. I don't remember her name and I should have it written down, but I do think that she will do it for free for people who've had NDEs. I don't know how many people have contacted her and how available she is, but that would be interesting. Yes. I think it would be really interesting. And I do know that have as somebody who's, who's studied embodiment, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a family where, you know, what happens after death wasn't really talked about. Um, mm. There wasn't a a belief system in my family around it. Um, so I was, I think I was always afraid it was going to just be the end or, or the void in some way. And yet, you know, the best way I could describe my experience before having better ways to describe it was that it felt like my near-death experience at one years old, stretched out my consciousness. It's like wherever I went, 
I could get back there more easily because I went there. So are you saying you're not religious? I wasn't. I wasn't religious. Are you now? Now I would say that for the first time in my life, I feel comfortable using the word God and feeling like I am referring to something and not just sort of a hopeful idea. So I'm guessing then though, you would probably still classify yourself as spiritual. Yes, I definitely, I definitely feel spiritual. And even as a child, you know, we would go, I grew up Jewish and we would go to temple, but my parents told me we're going to honor our ancestors. We're going because we had moved into a new town and we needed community. Right. And, you know, you stick with kind of your community. You know, if you're Jewish, you go to temple, you're welcomed. Um, But I never really ever experienced my parents talking about God. And I remember as a child having God as an imaginary friend, Hmm. but being sort of aware is this an imaginary friend or is this something I'm really tuned into? But I, I have some very um, precise memories of being in temple while people are praying and looking up at the rafters and saying like, this is like, there's God here. I know God's here. Mm-hmm. So th- there was always a part of me that sort of felt it, felt the presence of a divine source Um but my scientific, like, you know, my parents were very, you know, science-based. And so I didn't, I didn't have a lot of um, support with believing in it. Right. Have you ever considered looking into the Kabbalah? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, now, now in my, you know, I would say over the last 10 years, uh, studying belief systems um, and really honing in on how do I become more belief flexible so that I could actually be, like understand what's beyond life and really studying it. Mm-hmm. I, I have studied the Kabbalah. I've studied um, Hinduism and yoga in depth. I've studied um, a lot of different systems and a lot of a kind of a new age belief system around rising divine feminine Christ consciousness and um, occultism and yeah. And, and deep, deeply um, I deeply studied Buddhism for a long time as well. Cause I went to a Buddhist college and, mm-hmm. um, and Taoism. So I've, I've really tried to span the gamut yeah, <laughs> so that right. I can really see you know, what are the, what are the unique teachings in each of these paths to what I would call, you know, paths to enlightenment. And then what's similar, what's similar about them. I love the term that you used belief flexible. (laughs) I think that's a great term. I want to, I need to adapt that into my podcast. Belief flexibility. It's a thing. It's a thing because we can grow up with a really rigid idea of this is life. Like either like this is what happens when you die or nothing happens when you die or whatever it is. And um, what I was seeing, and for a long time, my focus was longevity because, you know, I, I had, we've had multiple cancers in my family and um, a lot of fear around health. And so longevity and sort of prolonging life, avoiding death was a big focus of mine. And I saw that, you know, in different paths, you know, that there was really a way outside of a modern medicine perspective where there's something external that saves you, that your belief systems could really impact your physiology. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's profound, (laughs) you know, fundamentally, but because of all of these layers of conditioning around what I believe reality is, I had to get to the bottom of it, which was belief flexibility. And um, yeah, that's been, I would say probably the number one journey I've been on for myself and will continue to be on that journey the rest of my life. I think that there is one theory that our body and brain is a manifestation of our consciousness in this 3D realm. 
So your conscious thinking can change your body and change your physiology. Yes. I, I, I mean, you know, when I say I feel comfortable saying God and using the word God, I, I can say that it directly connects to my experiences seeing the fifth dimension mm-hmm. and this integration between the, this specific dimensional corridor that we operate within. And to me, that's the best, that's the, that's the, you know, I had a mentor talk about um, logic models or sort of like models, mental models that we then attach other things to. And for me, understanding consciousness through the dimensions has been one of the things that stuck in my belief flexibility training. So you're still connected to the other side. In what way are you connected? Mm. Such a beautiful question. So I was telling my partner and he's, he is, so talk about dimensional. He's very 3D. (laughs) He's very much of this earth connected to this plane. Um, We've joked that he's my grounding rod and I'm can fly off to the upper dimensions and, and be tethered because of him in some way. And so I was talking to him this weekend because a, a mentor of mine just passed away. And I learned um, specifically about his death that he chose assisted suicide because he got diagnosed with dementia. And he was very, very logical, practical person, but also a theologian. And he wrote this beautiful passage that was his final address to the world. And it was truly, I was in some way in meditation around it all weekend. Um, And so that I would say is my, to kind of answer your question, I feel death at a very deep level and I see things. So what I saw this weekend in being in the emotions around the grief of losing a mentor and also feeling him as a teacher for me and a teacher of logic and then see, and, and a teacher of being in service to the highest good. And then learning about how he died felt like a teaching that I was to receive in some way about him making some logic-based decisions around how he's choosing to leave the planet and feeling all that. It's like a portal gets opened in me, a consciousness portal where I have experiences I can't really explain. And so what I experienced um, was that when I, when I imagine, or when I've had some direct experiences with plant medicine of seeing the fifth dimension, it's as though I'm sitting on the edge of an eyeball, like, the iris is the event horizon or the I'm forgetting the parts of the eyes, the colored part of the eye mm-hmm. is like the event horizon. And the eyeball is like the transformational void that one goes through. And my, my partner and I, um, you know, we're, we're each other's where we say it very regularly, like the love of each other's lives. And I take, we just, I take that really seriously. Like what that means to be like, we, we want to be together for eternity. And so I had this vision and it was a visual field and it was what I experienced was my partner's death. And in my partner's death, I was there and his conscious awareness. And what, what, what I saw was like, like similar to my experience of seeing the fifth dimension as this event horizon where I couldn't quite look upon God, but I could feel that God was there. I saw his eyes as that event horizon and I was there in the consciousness field. And it wasn't me as a body there, but me and my consciousness there. And so sometimes these things just happen to me. Um, I can either intend them or I've been at another memorial service this summer where what I'm calling like a death portal kind of opens. 
And I get this different glimpse into the moment between life and death. And I don't, I don't like, I, it, it's almost interesting to share it out loud because it's not something that up until this year, I would have ever felt comfortable sharing out loud. Um, but I've been owning this part of my self more, this, ex- this part of my conscious experience more. And um, yeah, that, and it was sad at first. It was sad at first to feel that feeling, you know, like at first there's some grief um, associated with it. But once I get used to seeing it in my mind, then I can go back there without the emotion. Some of my guests, I believe, will say that they've made an opening in the veil or a crack in the veil after they've had an NDE. Do you think that's happened to you? Yeah, I do. I think that it's happened to me, but because like the thing with being one years old and having an NDE is that it was all pre-verbal. So what a one-year-old, like a one-year-old isn't really even connecting the dots of, of conscious experience yet. So I think for me, my veil has always been, there's always been a crack in my veil. I just didn't have a good, I didn't have a family system that let me believe in anything but physical reality. And not that I'm mad at them for that. It's just the world I grew up in. And then I also, you know, wasn't, wasn't, didn't teach myself how to be belief flexible enough to actually even see it as a crack in the veil. But now 30 years later, I can definitely say that's a yes. Do you think that you might have any abilities like clairaudience, clairvoyance, or any of that that's just kind of untapped? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. The question is, do I want to use them? Mm. Um, I come back to this this feeling for me because sometimes there's a there's a question for me, which is how does this impact life here, life now? How does my connection to the other side land in my life and land in lives of people that I touch? I definitely feel like I have a connection to, to the other side. I've had ascended masters um, visit me and teach me in different contexts I also have felt um, specifically like the other day, it's like the energy of my grandmother. I felt her in the room and it was just unmistakably the energy of my grandmother, just like, you know, and I could turn towards that energy and I could communicate with that energy. And I think I'm learning to do that more. Part of my challenge has been, I, I, I have had a lot of fear and grief associated with death. So when I have these experiences, my initial reaction is either terror or grief. So I have to get through those feelings in order to open up to the message. It's interesting. Why do you think you have those emotions associated with it? Fundamentally reverence. I think on the other side of grief and terror, well, I think on the other side of grief is a deep reverence. And on the other side of terror is a deep excitement. And so I think it's energy. It's a specific kind of energy that I connect with. I don't have a good explanation for this, but I do know that there's a, um, and it's so interesting, by the way, there's so many flies around me right now. And it's yeah. this year. I was going to say something and then I decided not to. Well, what I can say is that um, I had a journey at w- one point, like a shamanic journey where I met the fly of the underworld. Hmm. And it was a lawyer, (laughs) (laughs) like a lawyer, like, and I, I find flies incredibly annoying. But in that moment, I knew that anytime a fly is around me, it's like, it's this reminder of death. Hmm. And, um, and to, and to be in remembrance of death when flies come around. So I'm actually not I'm not surprised that there was a lot of flies around me right now. It's mm-hmm. it it happens when I'm 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 talking about these these topics. So hopefully um I don't know what to do about them at this moment other than just be at peace with them. 
Okay. It doesn't matter. I mean, actually, it's interesting that you said that. I'd like to leave that in. As you were talking about it, the flies disappeared. I know. I noticed that too. I noticed that too. And, and, and like, that's what I've been playing with energetically is why do they come? And then when do they leave? Like, what about my energy? What do I need to lean into? So fundamentally, I think the fear and the grief is there as some way of a, like it's an initial reaction to a specific energy that I'm connecting to. It's not the whole piece, Mm -hmm. but it also in doing the work of what I would call like emotional alchemy or being with the fear, being with the grief, it opens me up. It really opens me up to a deeper state of humility and empathy. And um, I think it cuts me like, it's like, it goes deep. It goes deep to the core of my being. And so my experiences are very personal. You know, it's, it's my whole body. It's my whole body experiencing it. And there also may be a truth that I didn't have the verbal abilities, you know, the internal verbal abilities at the time of my dear death experience to cognitively process what happened to me. So there may also be a truth, which is that it's trauma that lives in my body. So do you fear death? That wavers on a daily basis. <laughs> there are moments when I have transcended the fear and I could die in that moment. There are moments when I'm deeply, deeply afraid. There are moments when I collapse and I don't care. And that I would say is different than transcending the fear of death. So I waver on a spectrum and it's always for me a reminder of where am, where am I in relationship to death? And I, I do this regularly now, but in my life, every time I got on an airplane, I would ask myself that question. Like it was sort of my practice every time I get on an airplane, even though technically I should do it every time I get in a car based on <laughs> what's true, you know, car accidents are much more likely than plane accidents, but you know, you're in the sky, you don't have control. And so I would ask myself every time I get on an airplane, how do I feel if today would be the last day of my life? So, you know, it's now become a very regular question for me. And I celebrate the moments when I'm really at peace really at peace with life and death. It makes you think again, it would be amazing if you had a hypnosis and you had more of an experience and then you would have, in my opinion, more certainty that consciousness continues on and then you probably would lose that fear. Yeah, I would I would say that, you know, my, without having the hypnosis, what I have turned to is doing sort of, practices around facing death. Mm. And um, my most potent one, which we were talking about was one with a plant medicine journey. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw, I, I think I, I, I think I saw deeply, like all I can remember in my mind at the time was, wow, every religion is right. Like that was what my mind was saying to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, all of these religions are right. Like, what? Like mm-hmm. just this profound awe for like, this is so much bigger than I ever expected. And, and just incredible, like almost excitement about around it and around what's where we go. And um, yeah, I think like that's been my closest experience to it. But, but fear for me has been a huge teacher. Like my fear of death has led me to all of these desires to become belief flexible and to, to delve into this work and communicate with the flies. Mm -hmm. So how has this impacted you in your career path? So when I was just getting out of college, I actually thought I was going to go into palliative care and, um, maybe even go to medical school and become a palliative care doctor. So working with people on their deathbed, because I was really impacted by, I was really impacted by the fact that death is sort of shoved under the rug in modern culture. And I, I wanted to be a part of that movement of bringing consciousness to it. And then I did elder caregiving for a year 
and I was with somebody in their final five days and um, it was incredibly impactful. And I, I remember some very specific poignant moments of this man turning to me and saying like, wow, you got some really crazy hallucinations. You know, that was one of the things he said to me. And then another thing is he stared directly in my eyes and was like, how do you know? And I, I really, you know, I have no way of actually knowing what he was saying in that moment because that's all he said to me. But I had a feeling that what he was talking about was this tear in the portal that I could experience. And he was asking me how I knew about it or how I, how I was able to experience what he was experiencing. And, you know, I was like, I don't know, I just do. And so I was very intensely impacted by the people that I worked with. And I think it kind of scared me that year of elder caregiving in some way. I wasn't ready to handle, wasn't ready to handle it. Um, So at that point, I let go of my desire to work with death on my career path and worked in the criminal justice system and, you know, was focused on bringing empathy into the criminal justice system. And, you know, somehow that path um, that never felt quite right. And so I left a job of many years that I loved and um, a company that I was going to take over and rolled the dice on like what my life was supposed to hold for me. Um, And that landed me now doing consulting work with estate planning lawyers. Hmm. So you know, like the fly right now, <laughs> death, not death, like, you know, a lot of people dying around me, but death in the sense of the, the idea of it mm-hmm. and helping people reconcile with the idea of it has followed me. And um, I don't think it's an accident that I work with estate planning lawyers now. And now I um, specifically also focus on people's relationship with time because I think it's fundamentally our relationship with life and death and how we relate to it. And I'm very specifically empathetic to people's fear of death. Um, having wrestled with it for so long with myself. So to me, it's fascinating um, how we live moment to moment or how we even design our schedules to me is connected to how afraid of death are you? What's mm-hmm. your relationship to death like? Mm-hmm. And these flies just—I I was it's, it's crawling on the camera. I know. I mean, it's 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 in, you know, there's they could be anywhere in the house, and they're here with me. So I have to listen. I have to listen. I think that they they're asking me to hold hold my higher higher wisdom around death because I think the fear is only a portal. This is just a side note. Do you think the flies are attracted? And I'm going to cut this out. Do you have your coffee with you? And is your coffee attracting them? I do have my coffee, but that that's an interesting idea. Let me see. If I, put it I, w- I mean, they're not landing on the cup, so who knows? No. I, it's so interesting. I think they're attracted to me. Yeah. but And interesting that they're not attracted to your dog. I know. I know this is this it's like flies follow me around. So I have like, I've had to learn how to like accept them. (laughs) Maybe you have like real sweet scented perfume or something. Not on right now. This just, this is just my normal, like, like this, I have, like, I have to deal with a lot of flies. Mm, Interesting. I, I know it's a weird thing to say, but specifically this time of year, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, and I made peace with it because it's, um, yeah, I made peace with it because of my journey that I had mm-hmm. around realizing that flies are my reminder. You've mentioned your plant medicine. Can you tell us about your plant medicine experiences? I would love to. So um, first off, I want to say that somebody who's been interested in belief flexibility and what happens when we die. Um, Early in my college career, I experimented with DMT because I knew DMT was the molecule that goes off in your brain when you die. 
And so, you know, I got to see what this is like. So I had one very impactful experience where I, um, what they call blasted off and I saw the earth and that was really, really my experience. I, I also saw, um, what felt to me like Holocaust dead bodies at one point, like I went through that and then I saw the earth. Um, and again, I have Jewish lineage, so there is Holocaust, um, trauma in my lineage. And then I came back and I was studying consciousness states at the time from a Buddhist, um, Hindu lens. So I was aware of the waking, sleeping, dreaming kind of concept. And I was also studying, um, time in the brain very uh, deeply in college. So, you know, my mind was tracking these concepts, but I come back into consciousness. And the first thing I know, I see two reels of time coming together and one's going backwards and one going, one's going forward. And something that's interesting about our brains is that we know things that are going to happen before we actually consciously do. So I saw two reels of time, one going forward, one going backwards. And then I chose between essentially what felt to me like waking and sleeping. It could have been waking and death, but if it was like waking and sleeping or on and off chose that. And then I had an instant deja vu experience. Like something happened, like everyone said everything that they were going to say upon coming back into the room. And then everyone said everything again. And that was my experience, my initial experience with DMT. And then I, I really hung up my coat rack on being interested in DMT because to me, it felt like you know, part of my belief system, again, is insourcing, insourcing our, our transformation. So why become reliant on an external substance? So I let DMT go for a really long time in my life. And then in this last year, I somehow accidentally found my way back into this work with being interested in the other side and death and, um, getting very interested in the Lucinian mysteries, which were um, a mystery school in ancient Greece. And basically everyone in ancient Greece would, would experience these die before you die um, rituals. And, and so me and my friends actually created one together. And the next day I was invited to my first ever ayahuasca ceremony. And it was something that I knew in the back of my mind might be interesting to do one day. I didn't know a lot about it, to be honest. <laughs> but in this moment, the fact that I had done a die before you die ritual, and then the next day was invited, I was like, yes, you know, and the yes matters when you say yes to that kind of thing, because then you're, you're committed to it. Even if you don't want to do it, you're committed. So it was scheduled for Easter weekend and the shaman got COVID. Mm. So it got uh, put off until the end of May. And so that weekend I ended up um, having a journey that was sort of unplanned and unexpected. And the weekend of uh, Easter. um, And so I ended up doing a different journey that weekend. And, um, and what I experienced, you know, all of this intentionality around, wanting to understand resurrection and wanting to know the die before you die experience. It's like what I experienced with plant medicine was like every word that I ever said about this experience impacted the experience. Like I could feel the power of intention and just how sensitive intention is. And so I had a very intense experience of first off, I experienced um, what it's going to be like to die from the way that I experienced it. And there's an Alex gray painting um, where there's sort of like a, a being or a human that's both smiling and frowning at the same time. And, and I experienced my face in this utter bliss and utter grief at the same moment. And I saw this event horizon and I knew that like God was there, but I couldn't look directly at God as though like this was level one and I was only getting to see the event horizon. And it was like really, really intense. And I, I, 
the best way to describe it was that I was looking into the fifth dimension. I was looking into an extra dimensional experience. And, um, and then I had an experience of uh, feminine and masculine, my feminine and masculine energy. And again, playing with the resurrection story, um, this sense of my masculine is the thing that dies. Like, and I felt my grandfather's face in that moment was my face and I felt his presence and energy. And then I could feel another energy and what I'm calling a feminine energy. And it was just sort of flowing. It like never had an interruption with the death experience. And, and then I remember one moment of literally like my consciousness being on the other side was my, the way that my mind was understanding it. And I saw my foot. And my foot waved at my consciousness as though I was on both this side and the other side kind of experiencing like, there's my little leg and foot. And, um, and that was, it was really profound. And then I started to come back into my body because I, I was quite out of body at this experience. I started to come back into my body and I started to kind of come down off the medicine and, back to the Kabbalah, there's this idea in the Kabbalah that God kind of drips down into our body from a higher dimension. And so the way that I integrated my whole experience was like feeling these little drips of God dripping into my body. And after that, you know, someone who never quite felt comfortable saying God started to feel comfortable saying God. So that was my experience with it was feeling God sounds like an amazing experience and it almost maybe metaphorically just was telling you that you know as people will say that our higher self is on the other side you know like you've got one foot on the other side besides being here as well yeah that's and it's it's, you know i'll tell you it's it's definitely taken some time to get used to that (laughs) you know to find peace with it um but even now, even having shared that, you know, the flies have stopped buzzing around. So mm-hmm. just always an interesting, you know, testament to like yeah. the the sensitivity of this energy. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think I think so. And I really felt like I was experiencing that so I could help people look into the what I call like the eyes of death. It's like their eyes when they're dying and then look at life and go, wow, everything is way better than I've been treating it. Like everything is actually perfect. And how do I live my life today as though I were to almost die and then come back with all of that awareness? Because so many people talk about learning the secrets of their life or seeing the secrets of the universe when they're dying well, why can't we do that before, in my opinion? <laughs> well, it seems like you experienced God to me. To go back what we were talking about, I think for most people, just to think about having another part of us in another realm, our higher self in another realm, not here, is an abstract concept. And it's hard to kind of come to grips with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would say plant medicine. Uh, here's what I'm going to say about plant medicine. There is different, very different belief systems on it. And some people I know are like, let me do it every day or let's go down to the jungle and get, do this thing for three months. You know, other people are like, mm, not going to touch it in this lifetime. And when I'm talking about plant medicine, I'm talking about specifically prolonged DMT experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me and the level of sensitivity that my consciousness has, again, from that near-death experience as a one-year-old, it's a big experience. Like it's, it's not the kind of thing I want to do regularly because the amount of calibration of my own nervous system to handle it has it's taken months and months to be able to be able to recalibrate because what you're saying is it's, it's a conceptual thing. It is. I always kind of conceived of, oh, there's a higher realm of consciousness and I have consciousness that it can exist in these higher planes. But then to have a very visceral, what I would call like experience of the veil, like that's, that was the biggest gift that this prolonged DMT experience gave me 
was this lifting of the veil. It takes, it took months of careful work and a life design that allowed me to integrate that experience as a real experience and not just a dream that I wake up from and move on to my next thing. So it's like, you know, I, I don't say that as like a, I don't think other people should do it kind of thing, but I say it in the sense of like, per, like I, I have a, I bow down to the intensity of being able to embody that truth. Mm-hmm at least from my own experience. I don't find any appeal to ayahuasca because it seems like for most people, it's you go through a lot of vomiting <laughs> to get through it. And it's for a lot of people, it's kind of horrible experience in a way. It, I mean, you know, it depends what I told my friend who I dragged into the, dragged is a funny word. She's my sister, like my mystery sister. We're, we're doing, you know, she's had some interesting near death experiences herself. Mm-hmm. But what I told her was, I was like, anything you're hiding from yourself, you're going to have to look at. And I think, you know, I did a very, I did a dieta or a diet leading up to my journey and was willing to go to the darkest places in my consciousness. And so it was very intense, but it was a profound experience because I went in wanting a, ready for the profound experience. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, not even like almost too ready. Like, you know, there was places that I could have gone to that I didn't want to go to yet because I knew that my nervous system just couldn't, my human nervous system used to this 3D realm fundamentally couldn't handle it yet. And so I protected myself from experiencing certain things. So how long ago was this and where are you at now that you've processed it all? April was when this experience happened. And where I am now is seeing that the die before you die experience is not an event, but it is like I was saying a daily check-in. Am I living with the truth of life and death? Like, am I, am I living my own deeper truth around it, or am I not? So the way that I've integrated it for myself, there's this, um, I have this amazing book on different mystical traditions and I'm forgetting the exact quote, but it's this idea of braiding in every moment and each breath, inhaling and exhaling a small death and a small rebirth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth. And so where I'm now is really integrating my availability to touch into death as something that becomes more and more of a micro habit and less and less of a big event. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest thing and, and seeing a lot of patterns, a lot of patterns that I've built up that don't serve me that I can actually release because of this micro habit that I've been developing. Hmm. That's interesting. Can you tell us, can you give us an example of stuff that you can release? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great uh, question. So I am really on this kick right now about simplicity and I'm somebody who sees the complexity in life and my complexity, my attachment to complexity has been in some way an attachment to my usefulness And then underneath that attachment to my usefulness is a fear of death. And even though I'm good at handling complexity, when I make things extra complex, I, it's like a layer of padding or safety of not really experiencing life. And I'm not fully present for life. And therefore, hypothetically, I could go through the rest of my life, not being fully present and living with that regret. So I have been releasing this pattern of needing to create complexity from an egoic place. And what that's come into is having really coming into a a clear way in which I'm saying yes or no in life and realizing that I've wasted a lot of time in my maybes. Hmm. 
And um, the maybe is oftentimes this fear of making the wrong decision and therefore regretting it and therefore regretting it on my deathbed. So for me, it kind of all comes back to this, like, how am I relating to death? (laughs) Am I okay to just live? Do I have permission to be here? And so the, the coming back to the surface, the ground level of this is really making faster decisions around yes and no, and being aware that anything that's happening in my life, I'm fundamentally saying yes to. So I start there and then I can say no, but that I, I living in the maybe is the biggest waste of time possible. Do you think you have the fear of missing out? Oh yeah. The fear of missing out. It's a huge one, a huge one. I would say fear of missing out is probably my biggest fear. Do you believe in reincarnation? It's an interesting question because I'm noticing, I'm tracking that old Ariel would have said maybe. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. It made me think about that because you were saying death, rebirth, death, rebirth. And that sounds like a, a cycle of reincarnation. I do believe in reincarnation. I also believe reincarnation isn't consistent. I think there's different ways we can reincarnate. And what is the I that's reincarnating may also vary. Well, I have talked to at least one guest and after you die, you don't have to come back. You can go to other worlds other realms or other planets. So maybe it's reincarnation, but you're going somewhere else. Yeah. I I personally think there's specific training that we can do to practice for reincarnation. That I, I think that's the my short answer is I believe in reincarnation and I believe it's something to train for. That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. Training for reincarnation. That's a whole new class, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Reincarnation training. Yeah. Re- I mean, you know, the hubris to teach that class, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I, you know, but I do believe at least for myself, what I play with, you know, if this is interesting for your audience, what I play with is um, being able to hold more of my light body in my physical body and unifying that. And I also play with being able to hold infinite infinity in my consciousness without collapsing around it or just writing it off. And so there's all sorts of ways we can connect to infinity. The one that I'm most interested in is our infinite path of mastery and experience where we have kind of infinite energy for specific things in our lives. And so, you know, what I might call also infinite power learning how to calibrate the nervous system to hold that and handle that. Um, And again, I don't think our nervous systems go on with us, but I think our nervous systems can shape our consciousness body, our light body and, and create it into a more, um, I mean, this is literally me going into like weird belief system here, but that it can shape it a little bit more or create a little bit more coherence and with more coherence, reincarnation might be more intentional. All right. I'm going to switch gears on you. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and talk to you or connect with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they do that? Yeah, I'm totally open to that. I would say the best platform to reach me on is Facebook, my personal page when it comes to this kind of topic. So Ariel RK with just an R and a K. And I would gladly accept, um, you know, messages there, questions, comments. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who's more than willing to, you know, go into, to intriguing dialogue. Um, and, you know, I hold everything as my experience. So, you know, I could be totally crazy. (laughs) You know, I could be wrong. I could also 
have some, you know, have an experience that's worth sharing. So I'm just open to any, any impact, you know, anyone who experienced any impact from watching this or really anything. And, um, and I'll do my best to get back to people. Do you have anything that you would like to promote while you're here? I am currently working on launching a time management course that helps people who have struggled to manage their time and have maybe tried time management systems without a lot of success. So it helps people dive into their relationship to time, to life, and fundamentally be able to use any time management system. Once you set that up, get back to me and I'll put the link to that in this video. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? You know, as someone who has worked a lot with my own fear and grief, um, you know, and, and an early life near-death experience and, and trauma in my body associated with it, I think that these emotions can feel like things to avoid, things to avoid. And, and I actually through my experiences um, have found that they are a path to God. That when we let ourselves feel the difficult feelings in life, or even when we let ourselves feel the fear of death, here comes a fly to remind us of whatever. (laughs) But when we can, when we can even feel into that fear, like the fear doesn't exist. And we can then, at least my experience has been through that process, getting back to God. And so I think my message is for people who, who do feel a fear of death in some way, shape or form, that it's not something to be ignored, but something to be explored. Ariel, thank you for that message. And thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you being honest and open and sharing with us. Thank you so much, Jeff. I, I deeply value the space that you hold and honestly, the messages that you're weaving together with all of your podcast guests. I've been incredibly impressed and will continue to be an, an avid fan and listener. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day over there. Thank you so much. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.